0: I don't know. I just haven't. It's been like two years of this show, and I haven't been able to blast Yost. So I just
1: <laughs> took
2: the, now's your time. You gotta
3: seize the moment when you got it. Uh. Welcome to Page One or Bust, your ultimate guide to getting on page one of search engines. In this episode, we're geeking out about content optimization what it looks like, what teams are getting wrong, and how automation can be utilized for maximum efficiency. We brought on Zoe Hawkins, a former video game and tech journalist, now serving as the content principal of marketing at Sumo Logic. You'll hear her lessons from journalism that B2B teams can use today to elevate their content game. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Page One or Bust is brought to you by Demand Jump. Get insights, drive outcomes with Demand Jump. Get started creating content that ranks for free at DemandJump.com today. And now here are your co-hosts, Drew Detzler and Ryan Brock.
1: Welcome back to Page One or Bust. This is your host, Drew Detzler. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Brock. Ryan, how are we doing?
0: Yo, i'm great i'm all amped up how are you drew
1: <laughs> there's, there's the energy i'm so i've got so much zeal for life today you can't stop me <laughs> Well, I'm excited, uh, and I'm glad you always have zeal for life. But uh, I have zeal today because we have a special guest, Zoe Hawkins, the content principal of Sumo Logic. Zoe, welcome to the show.
2: Hi, thanks for having me. I'm going to try and match uh, Ryan's energy. I'm going to try, like, zest for life. There we go.
0: Good luck. I am just sucking down the energy drinks right now. Let's <laughs> let's keep Ooh. this stream alive, people.
1: <laughs> Zoe, so welcome. Why don't you go tell us a little bit about Sumo Logic?
2: Oh, cool. Yeah, Sumo Logic, a uh, SaaS analytics log platform. Helping developers and uh, practitioners and security and observability do cool stuff, make the world more secure and reliable. Yep, I mainly, I'm just on the content side, so I live and breathe telling these sort of stories and being inside the narrative and, and editorial from customer stories through to blogs and guides and telling people what to do. Yep. It's pretty fun. Pretty fun place to be.
0: What's your favorite part of telling that story?
2: I love getting to talk to customers. I mean, that's kind of been my fave everywhere I've ever worked. But I just always think that customers tell us what we do better than we tell them what we do. And hearing like, I don't know, like talking to Ulta Beauty and hearing about like they found a bug where they were going to sell free product because of Sumo Logic. Like that's a cool, that's a cool story. Like that will stick in my head. You know, those kinds of things are are memorable and, and fun to kind of be able to share.
1: That's very cool. So as content principal, you uh, obviously have a background in content creation and, mm-hmm. and so on. So, so tell me a little bit about when SEO came on your radar?
2: Yeah, so I had a dream job for about four or five years. I was a video game and tech journalist in South Africa. So mm, basically got to yeah. like fly all over the world and play games and write about it. Like it was That awesome. is a dream job. Yeah, yeah. Super, super cool. And I mean, Zoe Hawkins, I was a lazy gamer and then the lazy gamer... Brand was bought by Critical Hit, so Zay Hawkins, Critical Hit. You can still find my old reviews. I think they were last up there when I checked last. So, yeah. What's your favorite still... video
0: game of all time?
2: Oh god, you can't <laughs> ask me things like that. That is an impossible question. For years, I played Final Fantasy, so that's always like a thing for me. But I really loved most recently The Horizon, whether it's Zero Dawn or Forbidden West or any of those. I love those. Basically, I like sneaking around and stabbing people, so like Assassin's Creed or using a bow and arrow and like yelling at my character why can't they climb better? Whereas I sit on the couch and I'm like my head, you know, just from sitting, but I'm like, you could totally climb that ledge.
0: Yeah. The the Horizon games are a lot of fun. Dinosaurs, robots, combine them together. I'm a pretty happy guy.
2: Oh yeah. 100% and getting to climb the robot dinosaur and like unlock a map is like, to me, just the, the feedback loop I live for. So yeah. So I was a video game and tech journalist and kind of started as just I think I was filling in for a woman who went on maternity leave and then my role just kind of grew and grew and grew. And eventually I became um, content editor of the site. And so part of that meant I got access to Google Analytics And finally was able to see beyond just like the troll wars that would happen in our comment section, like how many eyeballs actually landed on a given article and which articles from six months ago or a year ago were still getting traction. And that's when I kind of understood this idea of SEO beyond just like the WordPress Yoast plugin that we all had to (laughs) light up as part (laughs) of submitting our articles. Uh, And I started seeing how our images were appearing in search because a lot of us would play with screenshots or Photoshop the screenshots and things like that Start getting a feel for how images played into seo how our content and our guides and like walkthroughs would just do so well it was like oh people still want to know how to play destiny like people still want to know like where to find every feather mm. in assassin's creed years later like all right cool like we'll give them what they want and so that's that's the sort of stuff that from like a content editor perspective i would then go and find like not just people to write about the news or write reviews of a game but like to build guides and other pieces of content that I knew would rank well in search and and that was kind of my initial exposure to, to SEO.
0: There are like three different directions I want to take this conversation right now.
2: Let's do them all.
0: Yeah, let's maybe let's do them all and or or at least attempt to do them all. First, uh, this is just before we get down a, a real deep rabbit hole, I'm going to make a bold claim and I'd like your input and response and potentially your, you know, your best attack back at me. Because it's not you that I'm attacking, but you might want to defend Yoast. My, my claim is that Yoast. Today is responsible for at least half of the SEO confusion that's happening out there in the world.
2: Oh, why? Tell me more, tell me more, cuz I haven't used Yoast in years, but I want to hear why you think it leads to confusion.
0: That's the whole thing, right? Everybody has used Yoast, who's a content marketer and has done anything in WordPress whatsoever, but then like most people haven't used Yoast for a while. I've heard that. That's a common thing. I haven't used Yoast for a while. There was a period in time where the Yoast SEO plugin was just like mean, what you described. Everyone knows that feeling if you've been in content marketing the you got you got to get all the all the lights to turn green on your ghost thing but the things that make the light turn green are like not a real thing they they, they yeah. like don't matter like the concept of like this article you need to tell me what your focus keyword is and every bit of advice we give you is going to be about how you use that one specific keyword how frequently in what formatting and it's all wrong and i think a lot of people are still holding on to a lot of that today and they shouldn't
2: i can i can agree with you on that i think the pushback cuz i, I got to have a controversial opinion that I would give. I'm baiting you. (laughs) Yeah, bait it. I'll take the bait. It's fine. I think Yoast taught a lot of people that there was an idea of a minimum standard. Like you don't have to get it totally right. You don't have to light every green light up. But like there are some basic table stakes things that you should do if you expect your page to rank. Like if you're trying to do something and you're not even going to attempt to like have some links or have an image or do certain baseline level things, then you're really not thinking about SEO. You're really not planning for this to rank. And that's okay. Like, I think that's the other side of things. Like there is plenty of content that needs to be published that does not need to rank in search, that's fair. but don't, don't kid yourself that you're, that all things are going to rank or something like that. If you don't do the minimum level.
0: That And if you do, I love that point. I love it. But just to make the last joke that I can on this point, if you
1: do have content that needs to rank, don't use Yoast. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair pushback on on Yost providing a checklist for folks that previously didn't yeah. have a checklist when thinking about writing content. Now, to Ryan's point, are those the right things? Were those the right things? Who knows? They weren't. They were. They yeah, were. they were the best Maybe. proxy at the time. Likely. Yes. Are they right, now? Right. Probably not.
0: I don't know. I just haven't. It's been like two years of this show, and I haven't been able to blast Yost.
2: And so I just took. The, <laughs> Now's your time. You got to seize the moment when you got it. Uh, All
0: right. Um second direction I want to take this conversation so I am an English kid right like that's how I got into marketing hello Um, I wanted to write hello Hello. Um, and that's how I got into content marketing the fact that I've always wanted to tell stories has been a big part of like my experience so like for you going from video game journalist which is in and of itself a storytelling medium and I take it from the games that you're describing as your favorites that the storytelling aspect of gaming is important to you Mm -hmm. what, what do you think you have have come into content marketing with that maybe others haven't because of that background?
2: I always have more questions. And that's the journalist in me. That's kind of the inquisitive mind that you have to have when you're doing interviews or whatever it is and trying to deliver content to a clear audience in mind. You know, I didn't write games, journalism, content, just For fun. I mean, it was super fun to write, but like I had a clear audience in mind of like, these are people who want to know about a game or who are wondering if they should buy a game or are wondering why there's controversy around like Gamergate or whatever it was. Like I was there to tell the people who were going to read the site the stuff that they were wanting to know.
0: Fascinating, yeah. It's like it's real easy, I think, for certain people in marketing—not everybody, but for certain people—to sort of like take this like default stance of like the solution I am marketing is good inherently, and the people I am bringing it to want it and love it. Whereas in in gaming journalism is so like I read like you know Kotaku Hmm. all the time, and I see the comment sections, and it's just like you are not entering into a situation where like you know, it's even really possible, I would imagine, to imagine that, like, you're being welcomed by your audience with open arms and they're just like not thank you for sharing your expertise with me like there's there's just some baked in hostility there right and i'm not trying to paint with too broad of a stroke but like that's probably a healthy little bit of experience to bring into the content marketing world if we're being honest with ourselves and how we normally would think about our audiences
2: 100 i mean like the amount of trolls that i had to deal with and like the sexism and all of that where like i remember i was asked to review like an nba game and i was told i don't know about basketball like it's fine it It is the nature.
0: Robot dinosaurs, you're fine. It's fine. No problem. Got
2: that one down. I think that's kind of the the nature of the beast in in games journalism is like, it's super contentious. It's also like having an appreciation for like, the key thing that the customer wants to know is like, can I rage about this? Like, is this something I can go on Reddit and then like complain about? I feel like the customer is coming in with like a real, I don't want to call it toxicity, but something something akin to that. And so the job is to not only talk the story or give your expertise but to kind of like either assuage that or rile it up like there are some times yes. when you're like let's feed yep. the trolls let's do exactly. it and see what happens
0: well the way that i've always said it is like nobody gives a crap about your brand and that's not to insult anybody but like literally nobody on earth and i mean this pretty seriously unless you're talking about like a really really well beloved like consumer brand so you got to find a way to make people care and i mean that's that's not something we talk about very much on this show, anyway. But but it sounds like that's something that you're willing to tap into.
2: Hundred percent, hundred percent. I don't know. Like I fell down TikTok rabbit holes pretty hard last year, but there was a guy, Corporate Shay, who became like red points. TikTok person and would just like make fun of like Tech Rose all day, every day. And it was one of my favorite TikTok things to follow. And they had that wiggle room to do it because it wasn't them, it was him. And so I like that as a, as a way of, of taking some boulder swings that maybe they wouldn't want to do from their official channels.
1: Sounds like my dream job. Wow. <laughs> yeah, well, we already got enough good content to, to run with, but <laughs> let, let's let's jump into optimization because I do want your your input on on how you're handling content optimization today and how you have in the past because two two very different scenarios of, of gaming gaming content versus B two B content, kind of like we just discussed. Well,
0: and, and like in journalism, it's all about getting the latest article out as quickly as you yeah. can, probably making an update or two if you have a mistake, and then moving on, right? But I think we, if we're talking about content optimization, we're kind of talking about the idea that you are a curator of a library and that library needs to last. So how do you do that? How like, Why is that an important thing for you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I think part of it is, you know, any B2B SaaS company, I mean, except for like the super, super tiny ones that I've worked at, but like anyone that's even been around for a year or two ends up with way more content than I think they're aware of between the doc side of things, their website, blog, all of that sort of stuff. You, you end up with this sort of sprawl. And to your point, Ryan, about like curation, I think there's often very little of that, mm-hmm. <laughs> And so you can end up with like a whole bunch of very like disparate pieces that don't really tie back to a common narrative or a common theme, or from an SEO optimization standpoint, like they don't really tie back to any sort of cluster or network that you can then use to be like, okay, here's someone who comes in for this article, and they clearly know where to go next. And That's always the question I have is like, okay, someone takes the time, you know, out of their busy life to spend three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, you know, going through your piece of content, then what do you want them to do? Do you want them to just move on with their day? No, you want them to like, read more stuff or discover more about you or whatever it is. And so I think that to me is where content optimization comes in of saying like, okay, cool, thank you, founder at a startup, or thank you to an entire team of people who've been churning out content for years. Like, let's go back and take these pieces that someone worked really hard on publishing and like go fix them up. I've seen so many blogs or pieces that were published clearly because like, hey, we're launching this new product. We need to write a blog, like just hurry up, push something. And then you come back like a month later and you're like, can we now actually go and fix and put some images in and like make this a more interesting article? The issue is you end up with this library and if you don't tend to it, it just is waste. Like it just sits there and collects dust and becomes less and less interesting over time. And the whole idea with optimization is going back, finding those kind of, I don't even want to call them diamond in the rough, but like those C papers that could have been A papers that you can just go and fix and make better and then have an ongoing reason for people to still read them. One of the things I always ask my writers, anyone, when they submit any piece of content is I'm like, why do you think someone should read this? Like people don't care about you and your latest article. You know, this isn't your mom reading it. Like why should someone who doesn't know you, why would they be interested to read this. And going back for optimization is same thing. Like, okay, this is a year old blog. Like, why, why would someone want to read this now? Is it still relevant? If it is, let's make it something worth reading. Like, let's let's update it and optimize it and make it compelling and, and keep it alive.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about maintaining that library of content and updating and, and, and maintaining those pieces of content. What are some common mistakes that, that people are making when optimizing, when maintaining that library?
2: I think so many people, you know, treat it like the, the Yoast plugin for Ryan's metaphor. You know, it's a checkbox. Okay. We, say, <laughs> we said 2021 in this article. Let's just change that to 2022 or 2023. Okay. It's updated. Profit. No, no. Yeah, yep. exactly. You know, there's a lot more that needs to go into it than just like, okay, we didn't keyword stuff this enough. Let's add some more keywords in here and call it a day. It's like, You know, go back through and see if your call to action is still relevant. Go back through and see if there's some imagery. You know, see if there's a video that might make this more compelling, or maybe remove a video if people aren't clicking on it. Maybe your video sucks. Like, get rid of it. Yeah. It doesn't have to be there just for the sake of being there. And I think getting away from the checkbox element of like, well, I went back and I looked at it and I fixed the date and I updated coming soon to now released, you know, the end. It's like, no, no. Like, let's really talk about how the market has evolved. is this still relevant? What does that look like? And, and really making that piece of content live as new and applying any like extra proofing time, like I, I I don't bake, but you know I eat things that are baked, and like I know that the you know putting all the ingredients in a bowl and leaving them together and things bubble up, and then you come back to it and it's gonna have more air and gluten and all the deliciousness. Like some things just take time together for you to realize, oh, this is the part that worked, and this is the part that we can we need to punch out of it and and need back in. I
1: love that. So so approaching it, so looking at it holistically, looking at a piece of content holistically. as as opposed to going back and saying, hey, let's add a paragraph about this keyword or Mm -hmm. is the piece actually serving purpose? It sounds like is one of your recommendations. Yeah. Yeah, I mean,
0: one of the things that I love to do when it's time to optimize content is to see if like pages are ranking for anything that matters. Not not necessarily on the first page, but like somewhere, you know, that page has managed to align to what Google knows people are, are searching for. You know, you've got some value and then and then can you compare any given page of content to what it's competing against at the top of the search engine results for those terms that it might now be ranking for or have ever ranked for? It's just like super helpful to inform those decisions around like, like you said, like I have a video. Is that serving a purpose? Did I just do it because I thought adding video to a blog is going to make it better? Let's take a look and see what I'm competing with. I mean, is the length right? Am I covering an angle that nobody else is? Do I have some real perspective here? Do I have multimedia where others don't or do they have what I don't have? Like Just being able to start actually thinking about things on a tactical level is a really, really helpful way. To, to go about that optimization process, I think.
2: Yeah, for sure. And also, I mean, search intent, huge. Like, there have been pages in my career that I have ranked for and repeatedly flagged, like, hey, we're ranking for this. Like, it's awesome. It's bringing us a ton of traffic, but anyone who comes here is not going to find what they're looking for. Like, we got to change the content here, you know, especially when it comes to technical stuff. Like, people might be searching, like, how do I do XYZ with this and this tech stack? Like, if you don't answer that question, even if you're ranking for it because, you know, somehow you fooled the Google gods into thinking like you covered it enough and you said all the right things. Like people are going to bounce if they can't find the code snippet that they want to copy paste or people are going to leave if you're not actually answering what they're looking for. And so I think that's the other piece with optimization is like, I mean, I've gone back and been like, hey, this talks about tech that's like outdated. Let's update it with how people should tackle this question now. You know, really serving that audience intent to make sure that, you know, you're not just gunning for the top spot on Google, but that you're actually like gunning for an enjoyable experience for the reader who lands there.
0: Uh, Which apparently, for baking blogs, to bring this (laughs) conversation full circle, means writing a thousand word essay on like why you need a cup of coffee in the morning before you get out of bed or something.
2: I mean, there's one set I found that was great that was had like a button, like skip to recipe. And I was like, that's that's all yes, I want. Yes, please. Like, just get me to that part. And if I want to read about your grandmother's pie at some later date, I
1: will.
2: I but really, <laughs> we, I just
1: want to. But I, I won't. won't. <laughs> Spoiler alert.
2: Uh, <laughs> Spoiler. No one has time for that.
1: <laughs> all right, Zoe. So, sticking to optim- optimization. How is automation changing or going to change content optimization?
2: I mean, automation and AI, I'm going to put those words out there. Like, I think, you know, the future is here in a lot of ways. Like, I think the way that I use automation and tools now is so much. So much better than it used to be in the sense of like, you know, finding some of these pieces. Like I love one of my favorite things to do when I join a new company is like, hey, what's ranked between 4 and 20 on Google? That's within our realm of what we want to be ranking for. And let me go optimize those pages first. And oh, look, suddenly these pages that we care about are position one to three on Google and everybody thinks I'm, you know, the savior of optimization or SEO or something. And it's like, this is super easy if you have the tools for it. Like if you have something that can flag, like here's what you care about and here's where you're ranking, have at it. It's super easy to identify those kinds of pieces and kind of automate that process of like on an ongoing basis, just being like, this is our newest low-hanging fruit. Go harvest and and keep reaping those rewards. So I think that's a piece of the the automation puzzle that just, you know, makes it a whole lot easier than kind of trolling through the quantities of data that we used to have to in a manual world.
0: It's kind of insane to think about, like, Like you talk about like how we used to have to do that. I think for 95% of marketers, they just never got done. Like, Mm -hmm. and I'm a hundred percent guilty of that. Like if I had to really take my time and read a bunch of content to figure out, is this worth saving? Can I do something with this? I'm just not going to do it. Mm -hmm. I'd probably rather just write something new, which is not the right answer. So yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Like having the ability to, to have something that is all about pattern recognition, find patterns for you instantly we, we have to talk about generative AI every damn episode of this show because Let's you, know, do you it. can't not. Well, you already did in a way that is refreshing, in my opinion, because we're not talking about, I mean, like you just brought up automation. You, you mentioned AI. And these are these are applications of AI that are just so different from what I think still certain swaths of the market are, are hung up on like AI is just going to like be our content creation gold mine. But thinking about like this content optimization, the work of finding maybe not the diamonds in the rough, but like the usable portions of your library and like making them better. That is just like the rotest of rote parts of the job of a content marketing, a content marketer. Like they, it's just so repetitive. It's so boring for the most part. I think that like, mm-hmm. I think marketers should be thinking very seriously about how they use AI first and foremost for content optimization setting aside the notion of, I don't have to write good content anymore completely.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's just it. Like you can ask AI, like prompt engineering is such a cool new world, but you can do that with optimization as well. You know, you can seed a, a case study and be like, you know, it, is this understandable to someone with a fifth grade reading level? Yeah. Like, is this something that, you know, does this cover this in this topic? And it will pattern match and be like, you mentioned this, but you never follow up on that. Like, it can flag things like that and be your, you know, your assistant to an extent. You know, you just oh. have to recognize, like, AI needs adult supervision at all times. Like, it is not something you can just let loose but it is absolutely there to give you like reassurance that you said something you wanted to say or to be like, you know, Hey, here's a minimum standard piece of content. Like if you're going to plan something, if you're going to write a piece, like this is what AI can do. At least now we know you can do better because you're a human and you have more context and, and capability.
0: Mm, yeah. Zoe said that to me in a separate conversation yesterday, actually. <laughs> and I'd never thought about that before. I, I love that. Like using a generated AI generated content as bait for writers and being like, I dare you to do better. Like who, who's not going <laughs> to, Take you up on that challenge, right? It's what a wonderful use for AI.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it's it's sometimes tricky to give someone a brief and they feel like they've read a million briefs and like, okay, yeah, fine. I can write an article on this. Anyone could write an article on it. It's like, cool, anyone did. Here's AI. (laughs) AI wrote this article. What are you gonna do to make it better? Like, how would you approach it that would make this much more interesting? And People, you know, it's also, it combats that whole like fear of the blinking cursor thing. Yeah. Like you don't have a blank page in front of you. You have a piece of content written that you can be like, oh, this is terrible. I could do so much better. Well, go do it.
1: Yeah, exactly. It gets rid of the blank page and you end up, a writer would end up rewriting everything, just erasing a paragraph <laughs> and then rewriting it. So n- nothing of the original AI would remain I like that. Exactly. And I think
0: without even realizing she's done it, Zoe has brought us full circle and revealed that she was not lying when she said that the gaming journalist in her that is not afraid of rage bait is surviving to this day. <laughs>
2: to this day. Here we are. Just rage bait my writers. That's that's going to be my, my content mission going forward.
1: Uh, I love it. I, I'll, I'll, I'll join you under that banner. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's already doing his best. He'll, 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 he's not kidding. Well... <laughs> <laughs> As someone who has to uh, wrangle him, he's not kidding. That was a great conversation, Zoe. Ryan, was there anything you wanted to cover before we jump to a lightning round?
0: No, I'm ready for the lightning round.
1: Let's do this. All right. (laughs) What was the last thing you searched for?
2: Ooh, I think nutritional content of eggplant. (laughs) I love it. I eat a lot of protein, I lift weights, and so I eat a lot of protein. So it ends up being like every conversation is like, Ooh, I'll shovel this in my face and then ask questions later. And and that ends up being a lot of my searches. It's like, Is there any protein in this? And apparently an eggplant is a lot like a banana. It's all potassium. Huh. All right. Mm. Good to know. Yeah.
1: Uh, okay. Like beautiful. Okay. Topical. Who is the best Assassin's Creed protagonist?
2: Ooh, that's a tricky one. I would. It's so not. That, <laughs> Fine, Cassandra. I said it. I really liked her. Assassin's Creed. What the Greek one? Odyssey.
1: You know, that's the only one I haven't played. Oh wow! He was getting ready. <laughs> he was getting ready I'm, to fight your answer, and he can't.
2: And he was because yeah, who I, are I, you going to say? Ezio. Yeah, obviously. Ezio's amazing. Also, Ezio is great because they had his uncle Mario so that when you meet him, he would say, It's a me, Mario. <laughs> yeah. Which is just like perfect. one of my favorite throwbacks. Well, there.
1: Ryan, you're going to have to get that
0: version.
2: Cassandra, she's a badass. She's really, really fun.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I'm, I'm a big fan of classical everything. I mean, I literally can, can read Greek, ancient Greek, and I've never Ooh, played that game. I don't know why. Go That's do good. it.
2: I only sunk 200 hours in, including DLC. So, I mean, wow. up to you.
1: All right. Are there any books or movies that have made you uh, a better marketer?
2: Okay. Yeah, I have a bunch. I don't know how much time we have for lightning, but here's my rolling thunder. So, Positioning by Al Reese, oldie but a goodie. A bunch of stuff is outdated, but I think it's still really helpful, just this idea of how you position products and how you position yourself. Super important. So I would be remiss if I didn't mention Anne Handley. I think everyone has read everybody everybody has read everybody writes. I think it's just one of those kind of foundational books that like if you don't read it, you you know kind of get put on the naughty shelf in content marketing. (laughs) And then okay, so the things that for me I think are a bit different, not necessarily content marketing related. But four thousand weeks, time management for mortals. It's by Oliver Berkman. Highly recommend. It sounds super like morbid, but it's not. It's this whole idea that like we have the average person has four thousand weeks in their life. Like you will never get to do all the things. You will never get to travel to all the places. You will never get to see all the things. You will never get to read all the books. And in a way, that's super depressing. And on the other hand, it's really freeing yeah. that you get to choose. What you do with your time and what you do with your energy and like content marketing is the same. Like there aren't enough eyeballs in the world for everyone to read every piece of content. So, like, what are you providing or doing that's unique and valuable for the people who do choose to consume it? So, love that. That one was a big win for me. And then there's a series of sci-fi books that I love. It's called like Monk and Robot. But the first one is Song for the Wild Bilps. The second one is Prayer for the Crown Shy. It's like this futuristic sci-fi world where like robots... Rise up and then disappear, and this imagined future of like what it would be like in a world that's just more egalitarian. I'm into it.
1: You're talking to some sci fi nerds here, so we're both into it.
2: Yeah, and it fits into that. It's a genre of sci fi that I love. They call it cozy fantasy or cozy sci fi. It's like the stakes aren't so high. We're not like fighting a war. We're not like, you know, ending. It's not apocalyptic. It's like the apocalypse came and we figured out a solution, and this is the society that survived. And like, how we explain it to ourselves and others I love it. And, hmm. yeah, really really cool series that i would recommend to My anyone brain probably
0: needs a little bit of that right now i'm always yeah. reading like i'm always reading like high 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 science fiction you know Ooh, me like, too
2: what are you reading
0: well i've been reading all of asimov's foundation and robots oh, and empire wow. novels in chronological order Recently, yeah. I've also read all the Dune, the whole Dune, or all of Herbert's Dune books this year. Yeah, you need to come and up I for some air, man.
2: Yeah, you need some air. You need, like, I heard someone describe the Dune books as three textbooks in a trench coat disguised as books. Like, that's <laughs> what I think of now. With I'll some never of these. read them
0: again. Yeah, I'll say that. But I really, I. The Children of Time series by Adrian Tchaikovsky.
2: One of my faves. That's
0: like the last thing that I think kind of qualifies as what you're talking about. Like there are stakes, but it's not like world ending stakes. The world already ended. And now we got to figure out how to work together with people
1: or things Mm -hmm. that are not like us. I love that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last lightning round question here, Zoe. What is a marketing or content myth that you've busted in your career?
2: Ooh, myth busters. I think... The myth that I have busted is that B2B marketing is boring and that technical marketing has to be dry. Like even if it has to be... Dry. Even if we're talking about like chicken breast, like let's put some sauce on it. Let's put some spice on it. Like let's yeah, let's not seasonings.
0: You can you use can, them.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like it doesn't have to be. It's only as boring as the person who's doing the marketing. I love that. Snap. Snap. I
1: love it. Beautiful. Well, that was a great conversation. Zoe, thanks again uh for being a guest. It was a blast.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun.
1: It was fun to geek out for a little bit here,
0: you know, like I think respectable way. I don't know. It's up to the listeners to decide now, but we don't really care what they
1: think. <laughs> range bait
0: (laughs) range bait bait. we
2: geeked out on everything (laughs) books games and some seo so all the geeks i love it we'll
1: do it again
3: thanks zoe awesome thanks so much Are you ready to dive even deeper into pillar-based marketing? Here's your chance. The brand new book, Pillar-Based Marketing, a data-driven methodology for SEO and content that actually works by co-hosts Ryan Brock and Christopher Day is now available in paperback, hardcover, and ebook editions. Find it at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or look for the link in the show notes.